last week, if you were here, and I know many of you weren't because many of you were up at camp, last week I started a short series, a five-week sermon series. It's a series of lessons designed to help us as we come off this hectic summer season. It's designed to help us refocus on our 2017 theme at Netherwood Park. And that theme is living the word in the world. And to remind you, we chose this theme so that we would always have in mind that we are called as followers of Christ to not just an intellectual faith. We're called to not just know, we're called to do. We're called to have an active faith. James phrased it this way in James chapter 1 and verse 22. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says... It's like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James says, don't just listen to the word, do what it says. Live the word in the world. So last week we introduced this series with a variety of images. Some images that I recently uh, experienced as Kathy and I were in London for the World Track and Field Championships. And last week we focused on the tension and the drama and the excitement of the men's 100 meter dash. We focused on eight men whose years of training and years of preparation had brought them to this one moment. The moment when all their training and all their preparation was put to use. And the starter called out, on your marks. Except with a British accent, but I don't do that very well. And then after a long pause, we heard the starter say, set. And then the gun fired. And as the gun fired, all eight men exploded from their starting blocks to run the race that was before them. And we observe that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're like those eight men. We've been called to run the race. We haven't been called to spend all of our time preparing for the race. We've been called to put all of that preparation to use by actually running the race That God has put before us. And then we move to a slightly different image. We used our imaginations to consider how strange and how pathetic and how unbelievable it would be. That instead of exploding from their starting blocks at the sound of the gun. Those eight men just stayed frozen in their starting blocks. How strange it would be if after years of training and discipline and preparation, those eight men chose not to actually run the race. Instead, they decided that they weren't really ready to run the race. So they walked off the track to go do more training and more preparation. So maybe next time, maybe next time they'd feel like they were ready. 
And last week we talked about the fact that we as Christians have to be very careful not to always choose training and preparation over actually running the race. We must not be like runners who are frozen in our starting blocks. We have to not only be prepared to run, we have to actually run the race that's put before us. And the final image I want to give you from last week is the image of track nerds. We talked about track nerds. We went to London with a tour group from Track and Field News, which, as you might imagine, was full of track nerds. I probably should be honest and say fellow track nerds. Track nerds are people who read about track and watch track and know everything there is to know about track and the rules and the training and everything that goes into it. And my fellow track nerds are really good about telling other people how they should run the race. But when you look around at them, you realize very quickly, very few of them are actually running the race themselves. They're racing experts who never run the race. And we said that we as Christians must be very careful that we don't become Christian nerds. Not let ourselves become people who are very good or who are expert at telling others how they should run the Christian race, yet never actually join the race ourselves. And we're going to continue the trek theme today. And today we're going to talk about hurdles. We're going to talk about one hurdle in particular that often stands in our way when we do try to run the race that God has put before us. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, you have put a race before us. And Father, you have given us everything we need to be prepared to run the race. And Father, we know we don't run the race under our own power. Father, we run the race with your power with the power of the spirit that you have given us. So, Father, help us to be people who join in the race, trusting, Father, that you will be with us, that you will guide us, that you will strengthen us. And, Father, you will take us to the finish. And, Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So last week we did focus on the 100-meter dash. And the 100-meter dash is really a fairly simple race. All of the runners start at the same place at the starting line. Each runner has his or her own lane. And they can't leave that lane and other runners can't come in to their lane. And the 100-meter dash is running a straight line. And you can see the finish line when you begin at the starting line. And the first person who crosses that finish line, wins. Simple as that. But I think we all know that the Christian race that God has put before us isn't that simple. In fact, the Christian race looks a lot more like this race. If you don't, go ahead and pull that up for us, Zane. Not that one. Here we go. We're getting there. We've been through those points. Get them quick. This race is the one we want. This is a picture of the women's final in the 3,000-meter steeplechase. In case you're wondering, the woman in the blue uniform on your right, that's Emma Coburn. She ended up winning the race, gold medal. 
Uh, the woman in the USA uniform in the middle is Courtney Freericks. She's a former, U, a former UNM runner. She finished second, silver medal. Go USA. I'll throw that in there. So the 3,000-meter steeplechase. Well, how is it different than the 100-meter dash? Well, not only is it 300 times longer than the 100-meter dash, it also has more people running in it. You're not restricted to a particular lane. There's a great deal of bumping and pushing and tripping and all kinds of other things that are going on. There's all-around chaos in this race. It sounds more like the Christian race. And the chaos is increased by the presence of immovable 30-inch barriers, hurdles. Hurdles that every runner must clear. There are five hurdles on every lap, 35 in total. And on each of the seven laps, one of those hurdles is part of a water jump. You're seeing that in front of you now. First you jump the hurdle and then you go into a pit of water and then you come out. That all must be navigated on every lap. So do you kind of get the picture? Twelve runners in the same relatively small space running a race while navigating 35 hurdles and navigating each other. And I don't know about you, but in my experience, the Christian race that God has put before me resembles the steeplechase a whole lot more than it does the 100-meter dash. My race rarely feels like I'm running in a straight line. It's unusual for me to ever feel like I have a lane all to myself. I don't know that I've ever felt like I could see the finish line ahead. And there are hurdles. The reality of the Christian race is that it is rarely run in a straight-ahead dash. Our race inevitably has hurdles that we have to navigate. They're life hurdles. Hurdles related to health and relationships and jobs. There are hurdles that other people put in front of us. There are hurdles that are self-inflicted hurdles. But perhaps no hurdle is more difficult for us to navigate than the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's a tough hurdle. And that's the hurdle that James turns his attention to in James chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 1. James says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, "Uh, stand over there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture... Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, 
you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't show favoritism. Don't discriminate based on appearances. Let's be honest with each other. Those are significant hurdles, aren't they? James points out that it is a hurdle to love our neighbors as ourselves, even when they walk into our assemblies. Loving our neighbors is a hurdle. Well, why is love so hard? Why is loving our neighbors such a hurdle? Well, one reason why love is such a hurdle, because in God's kingdom, in God's race, we don't get to choose who we're going to love. We don't get to choose our own hurdles. It's like the steeplechase that we've been talking about. If you're running the steeplechase, you don't get to say, well, I don't really feel like running the race today. I don't really feel like jumping those hurdles. I think I'll just go around. Or maybe I don't feel like getting wet today, so I think I'll just go around the water hurdle. No, God has laid out the hurdles in front of us. He has placed people in our lives, and he's told us to love those people like we love ourselves. If we got to choose who to love, love wouldn't be much of a hurdle, would it? If we got to choose who to love, we'd love those people who are easy to love. We'd love the lovable We might love those who first have loved us. We might love those who we think could do something for us. And that kind of love isn't much of a hurdle. So love is hard. Because in the Christian race, we don't get to choose who to love. And love is also hard because authentic love is much more than just these abstract platitudes that we're really good at. Authentic love, Christian love, royal love requires actions, requires concrete, tangible actions. You know, it's really easy to say, I love you. In fact, you don't have to listen very hard to hear somebody saying, I love you to somebody. I love you, I love you, I love you. But... Watch for people to do loving things, and that's harder to come by. It's easy to say, I love you, but it's much harder to do loving things for you. It's easy to get up in the morning and drink out of a mug that says, God is love. But it's hard to love others the way that God loves us. And it's even easy to have a sign out front of our church buildings that says, come as you are, everybody is welcome. But it's harder to be actually welcoming to everyone who does come. Loving our neighbors, all of our neighbors, is hard. It's a hurdle because we don't get to choose who to love. and Because we're called to not love with platitudes, but with concrete actions. And make no mistake, authentic love, concrete love for our neighbors isn't optional. It's part of the race that God has put before us. And James points out that authentic love, that royal love, begins with who we think 
is important. That's natural, isn't it? It's natural to choose to do loving things for people who we think are important. It's natural, it's human nature to show favoritism to people who we identify as being important. It was natural and easy for Christians back then, and it's natural and easy for Christians now to love that man with fine clothes and that gold ring. Or love that woman with a fancy car and a big house. Or love those people who are in positions of power and influence. And it's easy for us to love those people who look very much like us. Who dress like us. Who think like us. And it's also fairly easy to love the people who appear to be the kind of people we want to be. Or at least to be associated with. The successful, the power, the influential, the rich. But it's much harder. It's a hurdle to love those who are different. To love the poor man with shabby clothes who comes into the assembly. To love the beaten man who's been left beside the road for dead. To love the woman who's been accused of adultery. To love the lady with a questionable past. To love the man who's collecting taxes for the hated government. To love the sick. To love the lame. To love the outcasts. But those are exactly the people Jesus loved. Not with empty platitudes, but with concrete actions. And if all of those perceived differences that we think make people unlovable, if those differences don't matter to God, if they don't make a difference to God, then they shouldn't make a difference to God's people. So God calls on us to clear this hurdle, this hurdle of loving others. And how do we do that? How do we love the neighbors that God puts in front of us? How do we run this race that God has put in front of us to run? Well, I think there are really three keys to loving our neighbors. Loving all of our neighbors in the same way that we love ourselves. I think there are three keys to clearing this hurdle. This hurdle that's been put before us in our Christian race. And the first key is that love welcomes anybody. Love welcomes anybody. Love welcomes the rich man, and he welcomes the poor man. It welcomes those who look like me and tastefully wear bow ties, and it welcomes people like Craig who refuse to wear a bow tie. It welcomes those who can help me, and it welcomes those who can't do anything for me. It welcomes those who love me, and it welcomes those who don't. And that's hard. That's a high hurdle. But the reason we welcome anybody is because everybody is somebody. We welcome Everybody, we welcome anybody because everybody is somebody. 
You see, everyone we meet, they're one of two things. They're either a Christian, and so we welcome them because they have Christ living in them. Or they're not yet a Christian, and we welcome them because Christ died for them. We welcome them if they know Christ, and we welcome them if they need to know Christ. See, in God's kingdom, we welcome anybody because everybody is somebody. And that's the first key to clearing this love hurdle. And the second key to clearing this love hurdle is that love values. Love values everybody. Love doesn't value their appearance. It values them. Love doesn't value their position or their power or their net worth. Love values them. Paul wrote about this in Colossians chapter 3, the scripture reading that we had before. I'll read just a few verses beginning with verse 9. Paul said, don't lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator... Here there is no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no barbarian, Scythian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, Paul is saying that we value others not based on what they're wearing, we value others based on what we're wearing based on what we're wearing and what we're being transformed to look like. You see, since we've put off the old self, since we've put on the new self, since we've been clothed with Christ, since we're being renewed into the image of God, we value others in the same way that God values them. Because we're wearing Jesus as our clothes And because we're wearing Jesus and because we're being transformed into the image of God, we value everybody. Authentic love, royal love values everybody. We don't look at their clothes. We look at how we're clothed. And we value our neighbors because we're clothed with Christ. So the second key to clearing the love hurdle is that love values everybody. And the final key to clearing this love hurdle is that authentic love withholds mercy from nobody. Authentic love withholds mercy from nobody. And I wouldn't be surprised if that statement isn't making some of us squirm just a little bit. So let me quickly do some explaining. See, offering mercy to other people is not the same as condoning their sin. Jesus showed us over and over and over again that it is possible to love sinners and hate their sin. Jesus showed us that it's possible to offer correction to people instead of condemnation to people. And Jesus showed us that he never withholds mercy from anybody. Anybody who seeks his mercy. Who seeks his mercy in love and faith. And repentance. And really, how could we forget that? Isn't that our story? 
We're clothed with Christ. We're filled with his spirit because he loved us even as he hated our sin. This is our story. We're in Christ because he offered us correction instead of condemnation. This is our story. We look forward to eternity with Christ. We look forward to eternity with Christ because he didn't withhold his mercy. He didn't withhold his mercy from us when we came to him in love and faith and repentance. And we look forward to eternity with Christ because he continues to pour out his mercy. As we continue to come with him, come to him in love and faith and repentance. As we continue to sin and fall short of his glory. Paul said this in Romans chapter 3. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And Christians who deny mercy to others have forgotten how great is their need for mercy. So we clear the love hurdle by remembering that it's only by God's mercy that we're even running this race. It's only by God's mercy that we're able to run the race that he's put before us. So we don't withhold mercy from anybody. Love welcomes anybody. Love values everybody. And love withholds mercy from nobody. Yeah, it's a hurdle. It's a hurdle to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's a hurdle to love our neighbors as God has loved us. But if we don't clear that hurdle, if we don't love others like Jesus has loved us, then I'm here to tell you we're not really running the race that's been put before us. We're running the race that we chose, not the race that's been chosen for us. Aren't you glad Aren't you glad that Jesus is different than us? Aren't you glad as a forgiven sinner that Jesus didn't decide who to love the way that we tend to choose? Aren't you glad Jesus chose to love everybody, even sinners like me? So brothers and sisters, let's choose this day to love the way he does. Let's run the race he ran I'm going to take you back to the start of the race, and I want you to hear the starter say, On your marks, set, and go love. Let's pray. Father, we come before you confessing that we have a hard time often loving others. But Father, we also confess that oftentimes we're not very lovable ourselves. And Father, we thank you for showing us grace and mercy when we were yet your enemies because of our sin. And Father, help us to take your grace and mercy to the world around us. Help us to love others as you have loved us. Father, help them to come to know you and your son through us so that they'll learn to love you 
They'll learn to have faith in you. And so, Father, they'll come to you in repentance so they too can run the race that you have designed for them. And, Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to end our time by standing and singing and by encouraging and reminding each other that we are called to love as he loves. Let's stand. Let's sing together.